0: Would you pray with me? Father, we come to your word this morning and ask God that you would speak powerfully to us through it. God, I just thank you so much for your people. God, what a blessing it is to hear the voices of your people praising your name you're good to us in so many ways. God, that is just one way you've shown your goodness this morning. And God, we are grateful for that. Please bless this time now, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Don't you love the sound of God's people singing the praises of the Lord? Yes, sir. What a blessing. What a blessing to hear voices of brothers and sisters This week I I was working on my sermon and I received a text message and, you know, the preview on my phone just said, are you ready for this? I told you. (laughs) And so I clicked on it and the article heading said, giant spiders expected to drop from sky across the East Coast this spring. As if this wasn't bad enough, I clicked on the article. And I found out this. These spiders, are, quote, these spiders are named for Jorogumo, a creature of Japanese folklore that can shapeshift into a woman or spider before killing its prey. <coughs> Am I ready for this? No, I'm not. Will I have nightmares in the days to come between now and May? Probably so. And... Has our wonderful Pastor Emeritus, who was supposed to bring counsel and encouragement to me, provided anxiety and worry in my life? Yes, he has. I told Bill when he sent me that text message, I I said, no, I'm not ready, but thank you for providing an intro to our sermon on Sunday morning. (laughs) You all know that I hate spiders and have another reason to hate these giant creatures. We gather this morning, we know that life is filled with all all sorts of worries and concerns and anxieties that are honestly much more significant than a spider that God has graciously created with a mouth too small to harm us. Today's passage is one that we come to and it's one that I would confess to you and I've shared with many of you in my office as we talk about the concerns of life and work through situations in life, I've often shared this passage with you Because it's a passage that I come to and I found great comfort and peace in. It's a passage that if you come this morning and and you've lost sleep this week over the cares of the world, or if you find yourself this morning being edgy with others because your mind is just consumed with, with worry, or if you come this morning as one who has had a difficult time eating at times this week because of your anxiety, Or if you come as one this morning who just stood mouthing words to songs because your mind was captivated by worry and anxiety and concern over the events that are happening in Europe and what that could mean for us. If you come this morning concerned about the soaring inflation and gas prices and worried about how you're going to make ends meet. Or if you gather this morning and the reality is that that the pandemic of the Past two years has yet left you in a place where you're anxious and worried and you've all but ceased to live life. If that's you this morning, then I believe that this passage that we come to is a a cool drink of water for your thirsty soul. It's one that brings great encouragement, one that brings great peace, one that brings great comfort to the believer. I I remind you as we look at this, this passage, if you're joining us for the first time this morning, we they're in the Sermon on the Mount. We're in Matthew chapter 6, if you want to turn your copy of God's Word there. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, to his followers. He's teaching those who love him and are following him and seeking the glory of his name. And so this passage is one he speaks to comfort us and to lead us not to be anxious, but to rest in him and to find solace in him. And therefore is not one that necessarily speaks a lot of assurance to those who do not follow Christ. And the reason for this is those of you who gathered today that are unbelievers, you're living for the life you have now, and that's it. You're not living for a life to come. Your life is about what you have and what you can gain. And the problem is, is you know, if you don't know, you need to know this, that you cannot keep the things that you're living for forever. You cannot take it with you. The thief will come and steal, the moth will rust, it will be destroyed, it will burn. And so living for this life now brings great anxiety and stress, but the Lord reminds us not to live just for the life we have now, there's more to it than that. And that's what he speaks to us in this passage this morning. Hear the word of the Lord this morning, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Will he not much more clothe you, O oh you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. To you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. When Jesus begins this passage, we we need to be reminded of, of key words as we read scripture. And he begins with an important word. He begins with the word therefore, and as you know, many of you in here know that when you see therefore, you need to know what it's there for, right? Therefore, connects it to the passage that has just preceded, the passage we looked at last week, verses 19 to 24. Jesus is continuing this thought. In verses 19 to 24, Jesus gives us a series of a comparison of pairs in these passages. So he begins in verse 19 through 21, and he compares earthly treasure versus worldly treasure. He then compares good eyes versus bad eyes, and then money as our master, as opposed to God as our master. His conclusion here is also a comparison of two, where he compares the anxiety and worry of focused on, focusing on the things of the world versus seeking the Lord by trusting him to care for your needs. So Jesus' point, what he brings us to here is that our lives are not... About acquiring earthly treasures. That's what he's talked about in 19 and 24. That's not the whole of our life is to accumulate and acquire earthly treasures and to serve those things and to guard them and secure them. So neither, if that's not what our our life is about, then neither should we be consumed by worry over them. What what this passage does is is Jesus in his in his grace, his kindness, and his goodness, he frees his followers. To set our gaze wholly on him, wholly on him, by reminding us that we need not worry about our lives. Reminding us that, that he graciously and sufficiently cares for us. And so when he says to treasure up the things of heaven, not the things of the world, then we come to this passage and he says, listen... Essentially, you don't need to be focused on things of the world because I'm going to give you what you need. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Yet the reality is what? The reality is we tend to be a people who struggle with worry. We tend to be a people who still get anxious. Christ knows this. He says the word worry six times in this passage. He refers to worry, anxiety. And so the question that we would ask, I think, is why do we worry? Why do we worry? If we, if we are those who would say, you know what, I, I understand, I know that God is sovereign, he's great, he's mighty, he's good, he's kind, he's gracious, he's loving, he's merciful, he is a provider. If I understand that and I trust him and I know that, I can tell you that if I look at you this, this morning, I say, does God provide? I think most of you in here would say, well, yes, he provides. But then we walk out and we all of a sudden are racked with worry and concern and anxieties. Why is that? Why is that? All right, I, think there's, I think there's several reasons I want to give you as we start this morning that we become consumed with worry and anxiety. And, and if you'll think about these as I give them to you, I think that there's kind of a progression here of why we struggle with worry and anxiety. The first one is this, is that we experience pain, hurt, loss, disappointment. We experience those things. And when we experience them, none of us go, oh, I enjoyed that. That was great. I really enjoyed that pain. That disappointment was grand. I want to experience that again. No. We experience pain, hurt, loss, disappointment, and we learn that we don't want to experience it again. And so we begin to worry about experiencing those things again. Now, once that occurs, once we've experienced those things, the second thing is we begin to think about tomorrow more than today. Because we're worried about experiencing that which we've past experience had, had or the past experience we've had in those areas, right? So now all of a sudden, the things that we were never concerned about, now we're concerned about losing that or experiencing that or going through that again. And we start thinking about tomorrow. If you, if you just think about small children. Small children often live carefree, worry free, Right? which that in itself causes parents care and worry and anxiety, right? Because they could just plunge off of a, a, an embankment or stairs or whatever and not thinking of it. They haven't learned to be afraid of falling. So they live in the now. They play without a care in the world. They're not worried about how they're making ends meet or, or what they're going to eat or, or how they're going to pay bills. But adults, as we go through life, we kind of take on all of these things, don't we? We start worrying. We start getting anxious about things. Anxiety and worry just can kind of become normal. So much so that it can consume us and govern our decisions. What we do, what we take part in, where we go, can be completely governed by anxiety and worry and fear. The third thing we do is we've experienced pain. We begin to think about tomorrow. And third, we start trying to control what we cannot control. We start trying to take hold of something and say, I, I'm going to control this so I can avoid that happening again. It's the deceit of worry. It's the lie that we buy into that I can control it. See, we rarely worry about things that we're in control of, don't we? If we're in control of something, we're not racking you know, wringing our hands and worried about it. But the things that we can't control are the things that we get really worried about. We get really anxious about those things. And we need to be reminded constantly that we are not in control. God is in control. The fourth thing as we kind of work down this progression is we then begin to seek security from the wrong things. We realize that we can't control it. And so we start trying to insulate our lives with all this stuff to to protect us, to insulate us. We want a a bigger bank account or a a bigger house, a more secure house, a safer car, more stuff. We want a a bigger retirement. And we do all these things to, to try to insulate ourselves from any risk that could come. We want to eliminate anything we deem risky. Well, that's risky. I want to get that away or I want to avoid it. And so we have become a people, and this is really apparent in the United States. You travel internationally, especially in third-world countries, and, and you talk to people, and they, they'll, kinda, they'll comment about this. They, they see how, how almost paralyzed we are by risk. We try to eliminate every aspect of risk in our lives when we really can't do that. Finally, it leads us, fifthly, to prioritize the wrong things in our heart. We come to a place where we prioritize the wrong things in our heart. We value the stuff, the people, the comfort of life that we've achieved more than we do simply living for God and making Him known. We value the things that Jesus in verse 19 to 24 called us away from. We store up treasures on the earth and we avoid all that could cause us pain. Because we've come to a point where our comfort takes priority over everything else as we eliminate risk in our lives. Now, what I want you to hear this morning is this. Is that trusting God, trusting God with tomorrow is of greater value than all of the worrying that you can do. Trusting God is of greater value than all the worrying that you can do and we need to be reminded of that we need to hear that and we need to wrap our minds and our hearts around that that trusting God is of greater value than all the worrying that our hearts can do all the anxiety that we can take on this doesn't mean that we live foolishly it doesn't mean that we despise our physical needs we don't see that in the life of Christ we don't see him living in a way that was just in utter foolishness we don't see him living in a way that just despised his physical needs and forsook all that now what it means is that, that we need to learn to walk in wisdom and faith. It means we need to learn how that balances out. How does that work out? How, what does it look like to walk in wisdom, to apply the knowledge that we have been given by the Lord to circumstances around us, but yet also walking in faith with the Lord, trusting Him, not trusting ourselves to control the things that we can't control. We walk in wisdom and faith. It also means that we have to know the line between concern and anxiety, concern and anxiety there are things that we certainly would be concerned about but that does not mean that we need to be consumed by worry and anxiety over those things it means that we must not live in a way in which we allow fear to be greater than faith we don't live in a way where we're just consumed by fear but we walk in faith in the Lord instead So we look at this passage, verse 25 to 34, and and Jesus gives us four reasons that we should not worry. Four reasons that we should not worry. The first one is found in verse 25. That life is much more than material goods. Life is much more than material goods. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, not about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food? and the body more than clothing. Jesus teaches us here not to treasure the things of the world, not to serve two masters in verses 19 to 24, because the reality is, is when we serve earthly things as our master, we treasure the things of the world, then we worry about those things. We worry to keep those things, to maintain those things. But when our greatest treasure is Christ, when we are completely satisfied in him, we enjoy him as Pastor Michael prayed. When that is our goal, we're seeking Him, then then we're not worried about losing Him. We're worried about pursuing Him and running hard after Him. The thing we have to remember is that life is more than just about our physical well-being. There's more to life than this present life. There's more to it than that. And, And we buy into this idea that all we think about is right now, the here and now. And all we want to focus on, all we want to acquire are the things for this present life. And the reality is that there's more to it than this present life. Is that not why Paul kind of works out what he does in 1 Corinthians 15? Do you remember that passage? It's a lengthy passage. I think it's 56, 57, 58 verses long. And Paul's working out the idea of the resurrection. Some were questioning the resurrection and the value of that, the meaning of that, the impact of that. It was Paul, does he not respond by directing us to the reality of the resurrection, the meaning of the resurrection, the value of the resurrection, that there is indeed life to come? In fact, in verse 19, 1 Corinthians 15, 19, he says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This life is not all there is. It is a, a life that we look forward to. We've been saved as believers to a living hope, Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, 3. A living hope we've been saved unto. This life is not our treasure. This life is not what we wrap our arms around and hold on to. We live for the life to come. We live for Christ. He is our treasure. And in light of him, all the worries of the world pale. No one can take him from us. No one can take him from us. This life is more than about material goods. Second thing that we learn, verses 25 to 26, and then again in verse 32. The second thing we learn is that God cares greatly for his people. God cares greatly for his people. Look at what he says in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And this question, hear this question. Are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value? Je- Jesus says, listen, look at look at all of creation. Look at how God's caring for his creation. Look how he's sustaining it. Look how he's providing for it. And are you of not of more value than the smallest of birds? Are you not the crowning moment, the crowning jewel, the crowning aspect of his creation? That he, the only part of his creation that he created in his very image? Are you not of more value than these things? Then verse 32. He says, The Gentiles seek after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows what you need. He cares for you. You're valuable in his sight. You need to hear that. If you're worried and anxious about how are things going to go, what is my life, am I going to make it, am I going to make it through life, are my kids going to grow up, or are they going to be safe, or are they going to be okay in the world we're living in? You need to know that God values you. He values his people. Listen to Exodus 19.5. I want you to hear how God describes his people. In Exodus 19.5, he describes his people as my treasured possession among all people's. In Deuteronomy 7, 6, he says, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession, his treasured possession. In Malachi three seventeen, it reads, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And then we come into the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 2. And how does Peter describe us? He describes us as a people for God's own Possession for God's own possession, a treasure possession. We read in, in Psalm 23 of the Lord who is our shepherd. He's our good shepherd who cares for us, provides for us, leads us, protects us. He values us as the shepherd. We are a valuable, valuable sheep through our good shepherd. The the passage that we meditated on, First Peter five six to seven. What did it say? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. He cares about you. He knows what you need. You're you're valuable. He cares for you. He knows exactly what you need. We read the same thing in verse 8, when he's talking about, you remember chapter 6, verse 8, when he's confronting the, just kind of the, the false piety of those who would stand and pray to impress people around them. And he says, don't, don't pray like that. Don't be heaping up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. Why? Well, the reason he says not to, he says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He knows what you need. He understands. He, he values you. He cares for you. We need to know that we think about not worrying why would I not worry well because my God cares for me why should you not worry because your God cares for you oh child of God the third thing we learn about worry is found in verse 27 this is this is one that it's really hard to get through our thick skulls worry cannot add a day to your life worry does not add to your life. Verse 27, that's exactly what he says. And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? Well, I guess I should retitle that point. Worry can't even add an hour to your life. It's not going to add to it. You're not going to increase your lifespan by worrying and being anxious over something. Psalm 139, verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Our, our lives are in the hands of God. He knows what our life is. He knows our days. It gives comfort and confidence to the believer. Listen, you, you in here who are believers, you're followers of Christ, you've been redeemed, you've been saved. You're just saying the Lord is my salvation, right? He saved me. He's redeemed me. Then we walk knowing the comfort that he cares for us. We have the confidence that he is a mighty God who cares for us and watches over us. So we have no need to worry about tomorrow because we serve and we follow the God who holds tomorrow. We serve the God who who is sovereign and reigns over all things. It reminds me of what what George Whitfield said, the, the great evangelist. He said this, he said, we are immortal until our work is done. We're immortal until our work is done. Listen, he said that. You know why he said that? He said that because he was in the midst of his ministry, a time in his ministry where he was being threatened. He was being uh, dead animals. People were hitting him with dead animals. People were throwing things at him. He came off from preaching one day, and and he felt something brush the the back of his, his, his hair there, and he turned around, and a guy had taken a swipe at him with a sword, and one of his helpers had kind of deflected it to save his life. People were saying, hey, Whitfield, you need to step back, man. You need to take a step back from ministry. Whitfield never let up. Why? Because Whitfield understood that his days were numbered, not by man, but by God. Whitfield ministered and lived in light of a God who values him and cares for him, a God who is greater than situations. And he said, we are immortal until our work is done, so I will not let up. I will continue to press on and preach the gospel knowing that God is watching over me. We need to remind ourselves the futility of worry. The the reality is that you may very well worry yourself to death, but you'll never worry yourself to life. It's just not going to happen. Life is not added by worry. So so you have a, a choice to make. You can either immobilize yourself, worrying over what you cannot control, or you can live life trusting God to watch over and protect all the days of your life. You remember Psalm 90, verse 12? You've, you've probably heard this verse in the past, Psalm 90, 12. It says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It doesn't say, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of worry. It doesn't say to number our days so that we can get anxious over them and say, oh, Lord, I want to add to my days. I need to try to prevent all this risk. I need to insulate myself. I need to acquire more things to protect myself. I need to avoid doing something that could cause me harm. I need to, 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 I'm just worried, Lord. I'm worried. No, he says, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. That we might live in light of the fact that we serve a mighty God who rules over all things trusting in him which brings us to the fourth point that we learn in in this passage verse 32 God's character invites trust God's character invites trust the undergirding theme of this passage is that God is sovereign good and wise three aspects of his character that we come back to over and over and over again that God is good sovereign and wise that he is in control he knows what you need he acts on your behalf even when you don't realize it verse 32 he says the Gentiles seek after all these things your heavenly father knows that you need them all he knows that you need them all there, there, you see the the sovereignty the goodness and the 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 wisdom of the Lord here we see heavenly father first he is sovereign he reigns He's seated on his throne in heaven he's supreme We we talked about that when we came to the Lord's Prayer earlier in the chapter, in verse 9, our Father in heaven, right? Our Heavenly Father, He is the one that we have been adopted by. We have a relationship with Him, but He is the one that we worship, that we hold reverence for because He is exalted, He reigns, He is sovereign over all things, our Heavenly Father. But our Heavenly Father, He's not just sovereign, He also knows, He's the all-knowing, all-wise God. He knows exactly what you need and when you need it. He knows exactly what is best in every situation. I'm really, really good at thinking I know what's best for me. I'm really good at that. But praise the Lord, he actually knows what is best for me. I would be in a big mess if I got everything that I wanted in the past. Big mess. But thankfully, God is all wise And he knows that there are some things that I would want and pray for. And he would say, no, (laughs) Todd, you definitely don't need that. God knows. He knows what we need. He knows what what we need. And that's the third thing. We see that he knows what we need. He is good to supply what we need. He doesn't necessarily supply all we want. But he is indeed good at giving us what we need because he is good. Later, later in, in the Gospels, uh, Jesus talks about the fact that if, if we who are parents provide good things for our kids, how much more, how much more will our Heavenly Father provide for us? How much more would He care for us? This morning I was reading and, and came across Psalm 34 in my, in my time this morning before coming to church. And I just want to read this to you. Psalm 34, the, the psalmist is talking about how good God is. It's the passage in in verse 8 where he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He he begins the psalm by saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. He says it's an invitation to worship. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Now, when you come down to, we'll skip down to verse 8. Well, just highlights of verse four through seven. It ta- he talks about God answering him, delivering him, hearing him, saving him, and camping around those who fear him and delivering them. And then in verse eight, he says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The Young lions suffer want and hunger But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Oh, we trust in the Lord. We rest in the Lord because he is good. Psalm 119 says he is good and he does good. He says that those who fear him have no lack. He provides. God is good, sovereign, and wise. He provides for our needs. So why worry? Why worry when we serve a good, sovereign God? So, the first thing that we remember, we started, and I said this is a section that gives us two contrasts again. And the first is do not worry, do not be anxious. Instead, the contrast is what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He's not just saying, hey, don't worry, and then leaves and goes on about his business. No, he says, do not worry. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is the theme that's been going on all through the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter five, verses three and 10, we hear in the Beatitudes, the blessing blessing spoken to the poor in spirit and those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. What is that blessing? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In verse 6 of chapter 5, we hear, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In five seventeen through 48 is this whole extended section on a, a call to righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees. In chapter 6, verse 10, we're to pray for God's kingdom to come. In 6, verse 13, we're to pray for God to lead us away from sin. Why? That we might pursue a righteous life. Jesus is calling us to pursue the kingdom, to seek the kingdom, to live for the kingdom, to live a kingdom ethic, to pursue righteousness, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's what he's calling us to in the Sermon on the Mount. And he comes here to verse 32 and he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Don't seek earthly things. Don't treasure up earthly things. Don't set your gaze on earthly things. Don't serve earthly things, but seek first the kingdom of God. Seek his righteousness. Live in a way that that is in a manner worthy of the gospel, a manner worthy of Christ. Be holy for he is holy. Seek his righteousness. Essentially, bottom line is instead of worrying, seek the Lord, set your heart upon the Lord. Trust him. Trust him. It's not a call to be unconcerned. It's a call to not be anxious. I think it's an important distinction. It's not a call to be unconcerned. It's a call to not be anxious. It's a call to be concerned about the right things, the things of the Lord. It's a call to trust Him, to seek Him. Because the reality is that the more we seek the Lord, the more we grow in Him, the less we worry. The more our gaze is set upon Him, the deeper our faith is becomes and grows there's two things he says right the kingdom of God we've talked about that I don't think we need to go over and rehash the whole idea of what it means to seek after the kingdom of God we talked about in the Lord's Prayer that essentially it simply means that our priority should be to live in submission to our king that we would long for his kingdom to expand that his kingdom rule would expand to more and more people across the world The overriding priority in our lives would to see his glory resound and his kingdom expand and grow, that we would seek after his kingdom. We're not seeking after our individual kingdoms. We're not seeking after a kingdom, a Grace Baptist Church, to make this the greatest and biggest church that everybody around the globe knows. No, we're after the kingdom of God. We're seeking after the kingdom of God. And secondly, the righteousness of God. We seek after the righteousness of God. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we talked about. Again, we don't need to elaborate that on here. We already already did that previously in Matthew 5, 6, in the sermon there. You can go back and listen to it if you want. But essentially, we are called to long for and desire the righteousness of God, knowing that we are poor in spirit, knowing that we are those who bring no righteousness to the Lord, that we depend utterly on His and we long for His righteousness. We seek after His righteousness. It's set in the context of Romans 3, 21 to 22 that that informs so much of the New Testament. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Righteousness does not come apart from Christ. If you're here and you're an unbeliever, then you need to know that seeking after the righteousness of God only comes through Christ. It only comes through Christ. And so the the appeal of Scripture, the appeal of those of us in here this morning that our believers would be to turn your life to Christ, to turn from sin and to trust Him in faith. Call upon the name of the Lord. Scripture says that all who call on the name of the Lord, will be saved. And so we would ask you, we would beg of you, we'd encourage you to call upon the name of the Lord. Listen, the instructions of this passage are a lot easier when we do them both. That's something I've learned in my life. Is it that when we look at do not worry, do not be anxious, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that don't do this but do this, it's a replacement principle. We think about that. It's a lot easier if we do them both. It's very difficult not to worry if that's my only action. If if I just say, hey, don't don't worry about this, and, and it's oh, okay, and that's it. It's, it would be like me saying, Don't think about the pink elephant in the room, and we all think about it, or don't think about the bug that's in your hair, right? We're all thinking about do I have a bug in my hair? We're all thinking about a pink elephant. But instead, if if we don't just not do that, but instead we seek after the kingdom of heaven. We don't be anxious, don't worry. But seek after the Lord. And it's much easier to do that. It's much easier to do that. It's difficult to seek the kingdom of God. It's difficult to live righteously if we're consumed with worry. But if we forsake worry and pursue Christ, it's much easier. The reality is that some of you come and and you're sitting here this morning and and this is just a passage that is is kind of resonating. And, And if you're like me, there are times when I read this passage and I'm just convicted. Because the reality is I read this passage knowing that I tend to be a what-if-er. I tend to worry. I tend to be anxious. And I read this passage and and I'm convicted. And maybe today that's you. You come and you're in this struggle of faith. You're in this crisis of belief. And and this passage is calling you to look and go, will I really trust the Lord or am I going to, to continue to wring my hands and try to take things into my hands and try to control the things I can't control? And what you need to be reminded of is that your God, Christian, your God is greater than any situation of life, any care of life that you can confront. I, I, I would just ask you, is, is, is the God who worked out his perfect plan in Joseph's life, Joseph's life, even when his brothers deceived him, betrayed him, sold him into slavery, is this God not able to work out his perfect plan in your current predicament, whatever it is? Do you really think that your plan is more complicated, more tragic, more difficult than Joseph's? Would you really say, well, he probably doesn't have the wisdom to do that? Would you say this morning that the God who used just 300 men of Gideon to defeat the Midianites is not great enough to protect you from whatever is causing you anxiety? Would you say this morning that the God who made the lame walk, the blind see, the lepers clean is not great enough to care for you and the physical ailments that you're confronting? Would you say that the God who has promised to use all things for the good of those who love Him or are called according to His purpose is not powerful enough to use the sickness and suffering that you're going through right now for your own good and for the good of others and the glory of His name? Would you say that the the God who fed the 5,000 with fish and loaves is not great enough to provide for the needs of your family as inflation rises and gas prices shoot up? Would you say that the God who created life, defeated death, and promises eternal life to all who believe in him is not strong enough to guard your life today so that you can actually live life as he's called you to live? Is the the God who saved Saul, the persecutor, in his timing not wise enough and good enough and powerful enough to save the person that you're praying for day in and day out to be saved? We serve a great and a mighty God. We serve a God good enough and kind enough and caring enough that looks to us and says, don't worry. Don't be anxious. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. All these things will be taken care of. We we need to develop what James Montgomery Boyce called a, a, a conditioned reflex, a conditioned reflex, to, to turn to God in faith because worry comes, concerns come. We're, we're going we're gonna to wrap up this sermon in a moment. We're going to sing. We're going to do a really brief members meeting. We're going to leave. We're going to go eat lunch. And probably at lunch, something's going to hit you or you're going to talk about something. And it's like your, your worry siren. is like worry, 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 worry. They're all over the place, Right? Right after talking about this. But we need this conditioned reflex. We all have normal reflexes. Right? If I if I walk in today and Steph's been cooking and and I grab a pan and it burns my hand, that's a that's a natural reflex. What do I do? Right? This isn't rocket science. That's a natural reflex. I don't go you know what's that? No. When I feel it, I pull my hand off. But we need a condition reflex. What is a condition reflex? A condition reflex would be like when you're going down the road and you see an octagon painted red. What do you do? I forgot we're in Somerset, Kentucky. People in other towns are going down the road and they see a red octagon. What do they do? They stop. good teenagers please be careful driving (laughs) they stop it's a conditioned reflex why because we've been taught when we see a red octagon when we see that we know to slow down we know to stop we need to learn a conditioned reflex when worry comes that we take that worry and we walk in faith and we trust the Lord and we look to him and go I know that this situation is here the situation is real I'm concerned about it I can't control it God I don't want to experience the pain. I don't want to experience the loss. I don't want to go through it. But God, I know that you're sovereign, you're good, you're wise, and I want to trust you. That's a conditioned reflex, a conditioned reflex of faith, that when something comes upon us, we look to him and we trust him in faith. Why? Because he tells us, don't worry. Don't worry. You're of great value to me. I care for you. Bring your anxieties to me. What a good and gracious king we serve. What a good and gracious king we serve. Let me just leave you with four thoughts here. Four thoughts, ways to apply it. Here's the first one. Our concerns over situations and people should lead us to prayer and action to do what God calls us to do in those areas. We have concerns. We have concerns. There's nothing wrong with that those concerns should lead us to prayer and action to do what God calls us to do in those areas second we need to ask God to grant us wisdom to know what we should be concerned about and what is causing ungodly anxiety and worry in our lives we need to ask for wisdom God help me to know is that something I'm just just have a concern for that you've burdened my heart with that I should respond in prayer and faith and wisdom? Or is this something that I'm just anxious over? Third, we need to give our anxieties to God in prayer. We actually do what God tells us to do, right? A novel idea that we would cast our cares, cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. And then finally, we need to walk in faith, trusting God to be who he is and do what he's promised to do. Walk in faith. Trusting him to be who he is and do what he promised to do. Trusting God with tomorrow is of greater value than all the worrying your anxious heart can do. You hear that? Trusting God with tomorrow is of greater value than all of the worrying your anxious heart can do. Matthew 6, verse 34, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray.